I'm Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm Curtis Jones. I am Cody Gagbo. Putting on the Liverpool top for the first time, it was a dream come true and I'll never forget that moment. Pre-order the new LFC 24-25 season Nike home kit now. You can pre-order it today for delivery from the 16th of May at your official LFC stores. Online at liverpoolfc.com forward slash store and on the official LFC store app. You will never walk alone. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Anfield Index Pro Mindfield Podcast. I'm your host, Alan O'Donoghue, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Mr. Andrew Vincent. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Al. How about yourself? I'm not doing too bad. I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Two chats in the space of a week and a half, Andrew. What the hell is wrong with us? I don't know. (laughs) This might be it, folks, for the next six months, though, so, you know, soak it all. (laughs) But I think today, Andrew, I think what I'd like to chat about is youth development from a psychological perspective so as we know the club have brought the training grounds together so that the youth teams are training in the same facilities as the senior team and the belief is that that's going to be positive in terms of the long-term development for those young people to see these are the people we we want to aspire to be like and seeing them around the place makes demystifies the the heights that they may be viewed in, which allows young people to maybe see that there is a progression and a possibility for me to end up playing alongside these people or replacing these people. And a lot of my work is done with young people and there can be that youthful exuberance and, you know, belief, self-belief. Um, and if you are always the best, the best, the best, the best, the whole way through from under eights, nines, tens, 11, 12, 13, your confidence levels can be through the roof and people can just think it is an automatic um, pro- progression for you to be able to feel okay about moving into the top level, the senior level or just below the senior level. But that's not always the case because you go along being the best, being the best, being the best, and then you are at the bottom of the pecking order. And while you might have a lot of ability, there's going to be a lot of elements of your game that aren't as rounded as someone who's 28, 29, 30, and has been playing at the top level for 10 years or so. So from your experience, have you come across a lot of young people go through that process where they were the best and then all of a sudden hit this imaginary wall of, oh my God, I'm not the best anymore. And maybe one of the best players in the world is in my position. So what do I do now? And how they could react to that. But also in general, if you were working with a young person, 
supporting them in terms of their mental development in dealing with the potential bumps in the road or roads or challenges that they may face how might you go about working with somebody like that yeah so this is actually an area where i would say i have quite a bit of experience like working a lot with college athletes here like i end up working with a lot of 18 19 20 21 year olds and then also um you know, ice hockey is a sport where people tend to be in college a little older, so something like 20 through 24, too. So really that whole 18 through 24-year-old bracket, there's a lot of development that takes place there. Um, and then more recently, had some experience, like, working with people who are transitioning from sort of like that college amateur to professional sport and, and working on that transition, too. So I think, like, that captures a lot of the same themes. Um, in terms of the the kind of work that becomes important, like, I think... Maybe the best way to put this forward would be to sort of talk about some of what you talked about. What are the challenges that I expect for this person? How do I conceptualize those challenges? And then what does the actual work look like with an individual as like we sort of work through those challenges as they, they come up? So, um, you know, as you know, and people who listen a lot will know, like identity is for me, like the cornerstone of so much. And when I talk about identity, it's not just who you are, but like how you see yourself. So we could even call it self-concept. And sometimes um, we talk about self-esteem as being a cornerstone of confidence. Um, there's a difference for me between self-esteem and self-concept. Self-esteem is about how valuable I see myself as being or like how... Um, how good I see myself as being, how much esteem do I perceive myself to have. Self-concept is more about, you know, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my qualities? Like having some understanding of myself. And so there's overlap. So if we have a Venn diagram, like self-concept and self-esteem are going to have a significant shared space. But what's different is like I can have a self-concept that looks at me very factually but is unrelated to this idea of esteem or how valuable does that make me or how good does that make me. And so one of the things that becomes I think a big challenge for younger athletes is how much of their self-concept and self-esteem overlap. Um, when you're coming through at a young age what typically happens is like part of your self-concept is about being really good. And so you get noticed because you're one of the best performers. You get noticed because you make an impact in games. You get noticed because you're effective. And that correlates to playing time. It correlates to opportunities. And so doors sort of open for you. And that's not to say there's people, like certainly there's people with other experiences where they have to find other ways to move through the age groups. But by and large, like you said, Al, it's, the people who are the best at every age group are the ones who are progressing. And so sometimes that actually stunts the development of a strong self-concept based in identity and based in knowing what qualities and skill set is. Um, they just know that they've been the best. And so that's how they see themselves is it's this Venn diagram, self-esteem and self-concept have a bunch of overlap. And so then, like you said, if you show up somewhere where you do your things, but people are just much better than you. Um, that can tank self-esteem because if how you see, and cause trouble for self-concept too, because if how you see yourself is about being the best, then you're not the best. How do, how do you see yourself? And so that's sort of this first, whether it's a challenge or a step, um, 
one of the first things that needs to be worked on is how do you develop a strong self-concept and a good understanding of what are my strengths, what are my qualities, what's my skill set, and how do I use that to make a difference at different levels. So um, that's kind of this first thing. Yeah, and just on that, is is just is another element that is just as important is an understanding of what you need to work on and what you need to learn. So understanding maybe the places that you are not as good as you would like to be. Would that be an important piece right now or would that be something that you would come to later? So are you saying that, you know, a young person needs to get that foundation of these are all the elements that I'm good at before they can move on to, okay, well, these are the challenges. Because I could imagine that working with a, a young people, and a lot of the work I, I, I do with young people, when when we speak and we talk about themselves, they just want to be okay. They just want to feel okay. They just want, they don't want to have those negatives. So they just want everything fixed. And well, I get that with young people and with old people that I work with, but they just want to be okay. So it's not about sugarcoating it from listening to you. It's not about kind of going, oh, look, everything is wonderful. Everything is lovely, but it is a process. Is that correct? Am I understanding you right? You are absolutely understanding me right. And I think one of the things you're describing here is, I think you've set me up nicely for this knowingly, like um, this is the narrative in sport, right? Don't rest on your laurels. Pay attention to the things you're bad at. Strive for constant improvement. Never say something's good enough. Like don't focus on your strengths. Focus on your weaknesses. That's where you learn. Don't focus on your successes. Focus on your mistakes. That's where you grow. And I think... um, you know, like anything, there's wisdom in that. And then there's also the the flip side of wisdom, stupidity, maybe, or there's, you know, like, it's not fair to say it's stupid, but it is incredibly limiting. And so what I often find is that especially for, for younger people who I think haven't quite learned to trust themselves, they've heard these messages so many times, um, that they come to me with a real, like, fear of connecting with what they're good at. And so they'll say, like, well, if I spend too much time focusing on what I'm good at, then um, I'm going to get complacent. And I have a running agreement with several professional and, like, high-level hockey players who would, like, that my agreement is give this a shot. Let's talk about your strengths, and we're going to connect you with what you're good at, and you're going to spend more time thinking about what you're good at. And if you find that this ruins your hockey career – like, you can come find me and just beat me up. And, like, I I am fine so far. You've no, no, guys. no one's knocking down my door right now. Like, we're okay. Um, but it's a big shift for a lot of people because you have these narratives in your head about, like, I need to constantly focus on where I need to improve. And it's, it's not that that's not important. Of course it is. Like, having a thirst for improvement is important. But um, when we talk about performance performance comes from using the skills you have to be as effective as you can be. And so in order to use those skills, you have to have a really strong knowledge of them. And the other thing is that's where self-concept comes from. And so like, you know, if you have a bad day, it's not because your skills disappeared. Like having a bad game doesn't make you any better or worse. If your whole self-concept is based on the outcomes of your performance, then you're going to totally just be up and down all over the place. Um, if your self-concept is based on your strengths and your qualities and understanding that some days those qualities show up more and some days they show up less, sometimes too, like context matters. So, you know, 
the game itself allows for you to make an impact. And sometimes, like, if you're good at certain things, the game doesn't allow you to make an impact, maybe because of the tactics of the other team, maybe because of the pitch, maybe because of the day, whatever. And so, like, having a persistent self-concept allows you to stay confident over time. So let's use an example. Um, Trent. We'll go with Trent. Um, And I actually think that, like, he's... Because his development has happened pretty rapidly, but we've seen a lot of it from like 18 to what he's now 23 and now he's seen as one of the best in the world. And, you know, how did that sort of development take place early on? Like what I would say is is happening with him is like he had a really specific skill set. Right. And like whether or not he was super aware of this, I have no idea. But the first thing is like, you know, he plays in really nice crosses he plays really nice crossfield balls. Like, he has really good awareness of what's going on in the field. Like, um, I don't know. People who know soccer better, football better, would would have um, better clarity around, like, what his real strengths are. But those are some of the things that I would pick out. And so the work that I would do with him is say, okay, like, these are your things. Start noticing when to use them and how, like, how do those make you successful. So maybe I would say watch back some games from youth level. And um, find how did that show up? And so I think often what happens with these younger players is like they know that they were dominant at youth level, but they don't know how. And if you can't tell me like how do your qualities make you good, how do your qualities allow you to affect a game, then it's really hard to transition that to another level. You're sort of just expecting I'm going to show up at this level and make an impact. Um but if if you know, like, oh, like, I play really good balls that open up the game by noticing space and playing really good crossfield balls, or I can hit someone from this area in this area with early crosses, it's like, if you have a really good knowledge of here are the things I do, here are the things that make me effective, and here's the things I do to make an impact, it shrinks the game. And so you can say, okay, this is, yeah, I'm playing with Virgil van Dijk and Mo Salah now, but I'm going to do these things. And we're going to see how they go. And, like, more often than not, it's that really concrete. I'm using my strengths to have this effect approaching the game in this way that allows you to maintain a self-concept rather than just going out there and expecting, like, well, this is what I... I'm just going to go play my game without that being well-defined. Does that make some sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And I think focusing on that those things that we do well at a young age is so important because we need to have that solid foundation from which to build on so if we're constantly if we constantly have our challenges or the things that we're not as good at highlighted then we can struggle to have that sense of self-concept which really really reduces down the chances of us actually being able to reach the level that we think or hope that we can do and in a lot of the work that I do we discuss and probably you do similar um, I'm putting words in your mouth here but you know limiting beliefs and how we shape our view of the world based on what people tell us what we perceive in the world around us so that could be parents siblings uh, teachers friends and that what that does is that ultimately shrinks down the perception that we the range of perception that we have whereas if we can remove the 
the, those limiting beliefs or re remove the acknowledge them first of all and know what, that, they're, that they're there and then work to get rid of them or reduce the impact that they have on us then all of a sudden our frame of reference is opened up and we have more resources available to us internally to be able to then build on the things that we are really good at and make them even better often often the work i do i would say is like i sometimes focus more on narratives than beliefs but i think like they're the same ultimately i think sometimes i go with narratives just because um the idea is like the stories come from the outside so it's like most of the people who i work with it's not like they sat down and decided for themselves like oh, only pay attention to the, your mistakes. Be really hard on yourself. It's like you said, they've got these experiences where a parent told them that or a coach was really hard on their mistakes or, you know, they. we've all heard this story of the person who never, never said it was good enough and they're the last person on the training ground working hard because they're beating themselves up about that one mistake and so they're fixing it a thousand times or whatever. Like... Um, they get it in their head that this is how you're supposed to be. This is how you become successful. And that, like, challenging that story, that's a limiting story. It, part of being successful is, is holding yourself accountable for your mistakes and focusing on your improvement and improving in areas you need to. That's absolutely true. Working hard and, and working on things that you need to get better at is part of succeeding. Um, but knowing what you're good at and believing in what you're good at is a huge part of succeeding too. So to the extent that that story limits you and your ability to connect with your own strengths, it's really problematic. And I think sometimes the other thing I see there too, kind of going off of what you said before, is like um, there's some truth to the fact that you can get a nice little boost by being hard on yourselves. Like I, I think we've all been there where like, you know, we say to yourself, oh, like, you're an idiot, do this better. And like, you can get a little boost. You can be like, ah, oh, shoot, like I got to spend that extra hour. I got to put in that extra thing. Like I've got to clean this up. And like that, that's okay sometimes. Like it's not like you can't ever do that, but it's important to recognize that when you're hard on yourself like that, the fuel that you're burning is your self-esteem. And the fuel that you're burning is that self-concept. And that's sort of what you're saying, Al, is like there's only so much of that you can burn without replenishing it before you have nothing left. And so what you end up trading on is your ability to be resilient. And that's a huge issue for youth development because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have bad games. You're going to have bad practices. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have moments where you're with the first team. And then, you know, what do they call it? The talent group, I think is what I've seen before with like, God, I would have some issues with that name. Um, but the talent group, um, one week you're with the talent group, the next week you're not with the talent group, and no one's necessarily telling you why, and now you're stuck in your own head. And if there's no one in there to tell you, like, hey, you're good at what you're good at, keep doing your thing, this is just something that happens, um, you're going to hit a wall. And so, like, if you trade too much on your self-esteem and self-concept by constantly focusing on what you're bad at and berating yourself, it makes that transition even harder because resilience is such an important aspect of being able to make that transition effectively. Yeah. And, you know, resilience in, in life, you know, we, we learn about resilience by being knocked down and picking ourselves back up yeah. and knowing that we can do that. And I think when we look at that transition into the, the talent group where you are getting that bit closer, so as opposed to going up and then dropping down to that talent group, moving up into that talent group, that gives you that extra boost as well. 
and sometimes we need it's important for us to be able to recognize and name what are the skills that actually got us there because mm-hmm. we hear an awful lot talked about it, especially in the media recently is imposter syndrome so you know it's like okay yeah i'm getting picked for this talent group but oh no they're going to figure out you know very quickly that uh, i'm not that good i'm not as good as people say i am i'm not as good as people think i am because you have that self-doubt would that be something that you would have come across and have worked on or is that something that you see much of at all yeah i think what i what i see often with changing levels is how people change themselves and like you know what i mean there is sometimes it's like interpersonally like they change themselves as a person so it's like you know, I'm a 17-year-old and it's easy to be one way with other 17-year-olds, but then you show up and, like, you're in a locker room with Virgil van Dyke and I'm sure, like, you find yourself behaving differently. And, you know, part of that's an important process of earning respect and understanding how your personality fits in. Um, but then it, it's also important to just be able to, to bring some of yourself and to not change too much. So, like, you can't turn into, like... I think we've all seen that person who finds himself at this higher level and then all of a sudden acts totally differently, right? They've, they've totally changed how they are. Like maybe they're not as nice to the people who they were with. Like they're trying to behave in the ways they're seeing other people behave. It's really inauthentic and like that's going to be a limiter just anyways. But like then soccer-wise too, um, or like just playing-wise too, like what you can see is someone who's like, okay, like I'm really good at this level, so I'm going to just play my game whereas i'm going to get to this higher level and i don't have as much license to do my thing so i'm going to be really conservative and not trust my strengths and like whether or not they've even identified their strengths it's like well compared to the people around me i'm no longer as good so let me make the short passes let me do the simple things and to some extent of course like you want someone focusing on the fundamentals but like you're not there because of your ability to do the fundamentals and so, like, this is this is one of the biggest issues I think that I see um, in terms of who finds a way to distinguish themselves and who doesn't. And so when you have a pool of really talented people, some people find a way to show that they're exceptional and some people blend in. And especially when you're looking at a club like Liverpool, you have to be exceptional. And so being exceptional... Like, just being really good at the fundamentals isn't good enough because, like, everyone there's good at the fundamentals. Everyone in the Premier League's good at the fundamentals. Like, that's that's not a good enough role. And, and, like, I think that's another thing that we hear all the time, too. It's another narrative that exists, which is, like, do the simple things well, make the right play, work the hardest, like, and you'll get where you want to be. And that's true often for a youth level. But it's not true at the really elite levels. Everyone's good at those things. Everyone's working hard. You need to figure out what makes you different and what makes you special. Um, and that can be a big challenge for people because you kind of have to push back against the coaching you're getting. And athletes hate hearing this, and I'm hesitant to say it, but like, you have to start defining yourself at some point. And so, like, this doesn't mean, like, creating your own game plan and just totally doing your own thing. But it means, like, if you see things in yourself that you believe you're good at, find ways to do those. Find them at the right times. Get good at identifying the right moment. But, like, 
you might see things in yourself that your coaches don't see. You might understand the game in a way your coaches don't understand the game. And if you don't find a way to express that on the field, then all you are going to be is what your coaches tell you you can be. And unless they see something exceptional in you and they bring that out of you and push you to do that, then you are not going to be exceptional. Either they see something exceptional in you or you see something exceptional in you. But like, if you're just doing the simple things really well, there is nothing exceptional about that and you will not make it a club like Liverpool or another high-level place. You just won't. You have to find your things. Yeah, and I think that can be challenging not only on a personal level, but also when you look at, say, some of the older professionals. So I could imagine being... Curtis Jones, for example, coming into the Liverpool squad and seeing James Milner essentially go through the metronomic, do the simple things well, because he just doesn't have the the attributes anymore to be able to, you know, be flamboyant or whatever. And it's not what Liverpool need him to do. So I could imagine that it must be challenging for Curtis Jones to sit there and go, well, I, I can see this game and I can see that I could do this with my talent or I could do that with my talent, but I'm not getting given the opportunity because he's older than me and he's more established, but he's not doing the things that I know I could do. And how do you get that balance between understanding that I have to, when I'm on the pitch, work to a higher level maybe than is expected of the more seasoned professionals? Like that must seriously challenge individuals, especially when they're just trying to find their way into a, a, a squad and find their place in it. Yeah, and I've you know I've worked with a lot of players who, quite frankly, like wouldn't do it, and they kind of fizzled. Like, and um, you know, part of how you see the game when you're young. And part of how you're told to see the game, a really important part of improving and like kind of getting the opportunities is you're told that like if you do the right things and you work hard, then the coaches will see that and they'll give you a chance. So if you do what the coaches say, that is going to move you forward. And that often is true at younger levels to some extent, but like you certainly see the people who add a little extra, but then like if they're effective, that's encouraged by the coaches. So you get this in your head that like doing what the coaches tell me is the pathway to the next step. But that's the more, the higher the level you get to, the less that that tends to be the case, but there's a safety blanket in that. And also like your the coaches are making the choices. And so there's some part of you that's thinking, like, if I stop doing exactly what the coaches tell me, or if I add on to what the coaches are telling me, and that's really what this is, right? Like, I'm not telling people to go rogue. Like, that's crazy. That's a great way to find yourself not making the next step, too, is to go totally rogue. Um, but, like, there's this idea, like, if I, if I keep doing this, or I keep doing these basics well and keep doing what I'm told, like, I'm going to get ahead because that's always what's worked. And, like, if that's always what's worked for you, especially if you're kind of a James Milner-type player who, like, your skill set isn't doing something flashy. Like, your skill set, like, is being the best glue, essentially. Like, being the hardest worker. Like, that's that's actually true with James Milner. Like, his effort is what puts him apart, but he has superhuman levels of effort that he can put in. When James Milner was young, like when he was a 16, 17, 18-year-old, he was flamboyant he was he was trying things he yeah he, he, so 
Yeah, it, he was a he was a very different player then, and that's why he got the moves that he got because he was. It wasn't because he was metronomic, same old, same old. And I think we all forget that because we've come become used to the James Miller. No, I'm not saying he was messy, but he was he was great at taking players on and beating players and getting great balls in. So as, as a youngster, so yeah. he had that exceptional piece at the time, and he has developed his game to suit the needs that are required of him right now so that he can be the best that he can be for what it needs to be right now. And he doesn't need to be flying in the ring, the wing, beating four players. So he can afford to that. But if we look at, okay, Trent, Harvey and Curtis, they're the, the three young players coming through from the academy, right? They are... They have been exceptional players at youth level. They have been lauded as the the best or some of the best players at their age group all along. Trent got in by accident because of an injury. Curtis got in by accident because of an injury. And Harvey was just probably thrown in because we had no one else to put in at the time and did exceptionally well. I think Harvey got in because he believed in himself to an incredible level. Mm. I think he has a... What makes him special at such a young age is I think he has such a good understanding of how he affects the game and how to do that. And so, like, I think he made that jump pretty naturally, not just because he's talented, but because I think he's always had to look at the game from a little bit of a perspective of, like, how do I make my impact? And, like... he just has that sort of superhuman belief that can sometimes come with young people of like, well, give me a shot. And I think um, it's that self-concept that helped him there. Like he knows what he's good at. And I think he showed up, he did that in camp, and then it was reinforced by the coaching staff of like, hey, we need this. Yeah. And I think he, in the last couple of matches that he played where he wasn't quite as effective or didn't appear to be quite as effective, there seemed to be just a subtle shift to... Maybe because there is more pressure on the team because they are you know, battling on four fronts, we're getting to the business end. So maybe he is taking that step back into himself where he's going, right, I don't... I can't afford to be the one to make that... that decision that might not be the norm and it could it could turn out to be amazing but it could backfire and all of a sudden we're a goal down and we just can't afford that so we seem to maybe playing that less flamboyant or you know self-confidence or you know concept way but for those players they were the ones who have been exceptional the whole way do you think and again please Talk mm-hmm. to us about your experience. Do you think that the ones who do make it are the ones who are able to really get a sense and understanding of that self-concept, but also have the understanding that if they are constructive, if they got get constructive feedback from coaches, that they don't take it personally and can take it as learning as opposed to there's something wrong with you. 
I think both of those are definitely true. Like being able to take constructive feedback is definitely really important. And so like if I had to sit down and really think about who are the ones who make it and who are the ones who don't, and believe it or not, like I haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about this in particular, but like, um, like if I were to just make a list first, it's the people who know their skill set really well. That's not going to surprise you. That's of course what I think is like, you need to know your game and understand how you affect the game. That's really important. Um, the second would be like, you have to have some ego strength and by ego strength, like I, I mean that ability to trust in the way you see yourself, even if the, it's not reflected in the outside world or the way people are treating you. And so like showing up your first day in training with the senior team, knowing that no one on the senior team necessarily has a great understanding of what you're good at, like you need to be willing to trust what you're good at enough to show it. So there's a, there's a difference, right? If I'm at youth level and everyone knows me for doing X, Y, and Z, they're expecting me to do X, Y, and Z. It makes it easier for me to do and try X, Y, and Z because they're expecting that of me, right? So like, I think one of the big, the big problematic things in like Western psychology, which filters into how like popular psychology or just how most of us understand people is we overemphasize the individual outside the context of the environment. And so um, understanding that the environment pulls things from us and it's not just us deciding to be a certain way like both of those things go hand in hand the more the environment expects it from me and pulls that from me the easier it is for me to do it so at the u18 level everyone expects x y and z it makes it easy for me to do and try x y and z if i now show up at the senior level no one knows what to expect of me it takes a ton of courage to say i'm going to do x y and z this is what i imagine and guess that harvey did really well is he said these are my things I'm at the senior level now, let me do these and see how it goes. And then people expected it from him, gradually that gets easier and then maybe pressure makes it harder, whatever. Like um, That ego strength also does come with being able to take that criticism in a way that doesn't break you. And so I try X, Y, and Z and I get it wrong. And the coach says, hey, you got this wrong here, here's what I want to see. Does that make me now think like, okay, I can't do X, Y, Z anymore. I have to do A, B, C and all I am is A, B, C. I mean, these letter things are weird, but whatever. Like, um, because now if I'm suddenly trying to change my game to be totally different, that is a recipe for inconsistency at the very least, because that's the definition of inconsistency is changing yourself frequently, right? Um, so not only is it going to undermine your consistency, which is a hugely important quality at the higher levels and professional levels, that that's a thing that separates people out. Um, but also, like, you're not going to be at your best, like, because ideally X, Y, and Z are the things that play to your strengths. So it's about incorporating those other qualities and those other things, taking in that feedback, but also trusting in that core of your game and finding a way to bring those two things together. And so... How do I help the people around me understand what I'm good at? Sometimes, like, I'll describe this as, like, um, translating yourself or marketing yourself. Like, part of your job when you're showing up at a new team or showing up at a new group or showing up at a new level is, like, communicating to the people around you what they need to expect from you. To the extent that you can get people to expect from you what you expect from yourself, you're making your life easier. You're preparing the environment. This isn't really just about you playing well. It's about 
you telling people, you demonstrating. It might be a conversation with a coach where they say, hey, like you're, you might need to say, these are things I'm good at and I want to show you how I can implement these. Now they're looking for that in a way that they weren't. Maybe it's you're with your teammates. Like let's say you're a striker and you're talking to your strike partner and you're saying, hey, look for me to do these things. Like help me do this. Like you're prepping the environment to make it easy for you. And so that requires some ego strength. It doesn't mean you have to walk in and suddenly be captain of the team and tell everyone, here's what I am. But it, it means in a respectful way and in uh, a way that takes a ton of maturity for an 18, 19-year-old, being able to hold the things you see about yourself, accept that there's going to be some changes, but also be able to say, hey, here's what you all need to expect from me. And here's how you can help me do that. I, I'm going to get you working with my youngest daughter. <laughs> <laughs> she's got uh, it, this, but this is a conversation I've had with her where she's got a phenomenal she plays Gaelic football she plays soccer as well but she plays Gaelic football and she has a phenomenally straight long kick and mm-hmm. I keep saying to her you should talk to your coach and tell him that you want to try and take the free kicks because the couple of times she has taken them they just sail straight over and the, the kickers that they've had have been very inconsistent and she's like yeah yeah I'll say it to him yeah, yeah, I'll say it to him. And I'm not saying it to him because it's not my job to do that. Right. Because that adds pressure on her. And this right. is in, you know, stuff that parents can take on board who maybe have kids who are playing sport. And it's it's a battle sometimes. I, I will say that many times I've had to hold my tongue uh, and sometimes I haven't. But you know, she needs to go through that process of saying, I've got enough belief in myself to be able to do it so I can go and say to my coach, can I have a go and, and try it out? Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, and, and just to kind of wrap this up, what advice would you give to parents? So if we've got listeners who, who have got children who are playing sports or who are coaching teams, what would you, what would be maybe one or two things that you would suggest that they could do? Mm-hmm. We're not talking about them being amateur psychologists, right. but what could they do that could help to develop this sense of self-concept within their children or within their children that they um, coach? Um, the first thing is pay attention to how you do feedback. And like when, when I'm talking about feedback, like, um, you know, encouragement, hey, nice job. Like that's okay. That's good feedback. Um, hey, that wasn't good enough negative feedback, whatever. Like, it's not just about positive or negative. It's not about encouragement versus discouraging. It's about concrete, hey, I saw you do this thing that was really good. Hey, you you seem like you're really good at that. What do you think? You know, instead of asking just how do you think the game went, saying what do you think you did well? Um, what do you think you could have done better? Like, where are those things? Like, there's a little bit of research out there that's like, a little iffy in how it's been translated to sports psychology sometimes. Um, it was initially a study about effective businesses, and they went in and they looked at what's the ratio of, like, constructive feedback or positive feedback. Like, feedback that's like, hey, this was good, to criticisms, um, or this needs to be better. And it was something like 3 to 1. It was like 2.8 to 1. Um, I think that's an easy place to start as a, a parent or a coach. Just try to note like what is my, um, what type of feedback am I giving and what's the ratio look like? Am I giving most kids three constructive compliments to one criticism? Um, and the answer is probably no. I, I think for most of us, like, and, and typically, and um, yeah, I think helping, helping young people to develop their, their self-concept 
is partly about saying, like, what do you see in them? But also asking them. And I think that's a really huge thing that's probably even more important is to create this process of reflection of saying, hey, what do you think your best skills are? Um, you know, where do you think those best skills help you? Like, what do you think your best moment this game was? Like, how did that happen? And, you know, it doesn't mean, like, whatever. I, I think just doing that. Um, like, going through that process of helping them see themselves. Because then that's also part of building this ego strength, right, is um, your opinion matters. And so that's one of the biggest complaints I've seen from coaches is um, – Especially in youth sport, like I had done some research in the area of youth sport and like they kind of said like, oh, our kids don't like communicate enough. Like our kids are like really quiet. We have a lot of passive people. We don't have as many leaders as we would have expected as when we were young. And I think part of that is because kids today are not asked as much as people were. Like they're not put in situations where they have free play. They don't have to speak up as much. And so if you want players to step in and fill more space you need to step back as a parent or a coach and fill less space and so like um that's an important thing to consider too are you are you creating enough space that it gives them a chance to fill it and if not then that might be why they're quiet or passive yeah and it doesn't mean that they won't develop that ego strength mm -hmm. they, they may develop it very quickly but they might not and you know I've said it all the way along you know the best players I played with when we were 10, 11, 12 were not all the ones that made it to the top you know so it's about let's take the pressure off ourselves and our kids and give them the space to grow mm -hmm. Andrew I think that's actually some really really good feedback and I hope the listeners can use it for their children use it for the teams they coach but even use it for themselves in in general life because it, if we the more we can be reflective and see the things that we are good at then we are in a better position to understand that we can tweak things it's not that there, we have nothing going for us and that we you know we need to develop brand new skills all over the place it's just about supporting the things that we're good at to then build the the new foundation that we need absolutely and it also like that's where you get the strength to endure failing at the things you're not good at yet is mm -hmm. like knowing word. yeah it is my favorite word well, yes but I, I think that's true and i like i think i say that partially like i'm in the process of starting my own therapy practice and there's a lot of stuff like i just am not good at right now and like you know i trust the things i am good at like and i those are the cornerstones of what i'm doing and like the Those are things that prop you up, like, while you're learning to survive and thrive in a new context. And so, you know, I'm trying to practice what I preach a little bit too, right? Is, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta trust yourself and gotta trust what you're good at. And that, that's what gives you space to learn. There's a whole conversation we could have about the, the science of improving and um, how that part of things work. Because I... But yeah, like that, that's a whole separate conversation. We'll, we'll have we'll it definitely. <laughs> we'll definitely get on to that. Andrew, thank you so much for all that contribution today. And to the listeners, thank you for listening. And please do sign up if you are not a subscriber yet. Get over to the Discord and check back soon for another Minefield very soon. Thanks very much, Andrew. Thank you, Al. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. 
and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.